This week, we start a new series entitled, If God is Good. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be in this series. Here's why we're doing this. Here's the problem that's presented. This is what people say. If God is good, all good and all powerful and all loving and all knowing, then how can evil exist? It's this problem of evil. It's a fair question. It's a totally fine question. It's so much so that we're going to spend four weeks talking about it. And so that's what I want to do is I want to look at the Bible and see how the Bible answers that question. Because if you, if you, if you don't know or if you don't believe, I hope that you would leave here knowing that the Bible has the best answers to the most important questions that you have. And so it is with the problem of evil. So why are we doing this? We're doing this because this is a common question. This may be a question that you have. Hey, what's the, if God's so good, then why is there evil? If God's so good, then why did he allow evil to happen to me? Maybe that's a question that you have. Or maybe that's a question that your friend has. So let me just put this out here to you. This might be a good space to invite that friend who has that question. That's an easy, easy invite. Not because I'm brilliant, because the Bible's brilliant, all right? And it matters for real life. So we're going to address the problem of evil, answering questions. But it's going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to give you some, some setup, some foundation for us today so that we can look back and stand on it for the next three weeks. And I'll, I'll start it like this. I have the worst eyesight ever. Like, super bad. Like, I work, so I wear contacts. Um, but my wife has like 2010 vision. It's very good. So it's just a running joke in our house that I'm blind like an old man. It's fine. She just laughed at me. <laughs> All right, so I have really bad eyesight. And so what happens is my wife, my wife is a photographer and she's a very talented photographer. So uh, after photo shoots, she comes home and she uploads her photos on to her computer and she starts to process through them. And what she lo- likes to do is show me some of her favorites, which is totally fine. I love to celebrate with her. I, I do. Uh, but generally, because... I'm an adult, not because I'm a grandpa. I go to bed moderately early, okay? All right, I gotta get up early, come on. All right, so, so I go to bed early. My wife stays up until like 2 a.m., no joke, 2 a.m. Like, she's just like, yeah, Kenny didn't go to bed till three last night. I was like, what were you doing until 3 a.m.? I was just editing photos. I just had so much thing in my mind. I just didn't know what to do. Wow, I'm sleepy. So when she comes home, she likes to process and she likes to show me these photos that she, she just took. And so generally, like, I'm getting ready for bed, and uh, this is what happens. I take my contacts out, and I put them in the case, and I begin to walk towards the bedroom to go to bed, to go to sleep, and Jenny's, like, on the couch, and she's like, oh my gosh, Kate, come look at this one. And I'm like, crap, I can't see. Crap. <laughs> and so I, 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 like, walk over there, and I, like, do my best, like, guys, tip, don't take this advice from me, but I do my best to fake it, like, oh, it looks awesome. But she, she's like, you don't have your contacts in, do you? I'm like, oh, crud, crud. I'm like, no, I can't really see what's going on here. I just can't. I mean, it's like, it's a blur. Like, like if I didn't have my contacts in right now, if I put my hand right here, my hand would be blurry. Like, it's bad. I mean, my vision is bad. All right, so here's the deal. Here's what happens. In those moments, she, out, she, she outs me and says, you don't have your contacts in. 
no, I don't have my contact stand, but let me do this. Let me go, let me go to the, the nightstand and get my glasses. You're like, oh my gosh, you have glasses? Yes, I have glasses because I have contacts. I need to see. So I go and I grab my glasses and then I put my glasses on. And then all of a sudden, by, because I have these different lenses on, these lenses that bring clarity, I can react to and respond to and view this picture clearly and correctly because of the lenses that I've put on. They've given me clarity. It's allowing me to view it correctly. Now, why do I tell you that? Because when it comes to the problem of evil, I think we can make the problem of evil a lot bigger problem than it actually is. But because, because we have an improper understanding of who God is. And so I hope that tonight that what I would do is provide you some truths about who God is in his nature, period, about who he is that would just be lenses for you to put on so that you could look at the problem of evil and see it more clearly, respond to it more clearly, and walk in it more easily. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm just saying it's gonna be better and easier to understand a lot of who God is. So I hope that this brings you clarity, not confusion, but clarity. That's what I wanna do. So Job chapter 38, I'm gonna start in verse one. I'm just gonna read verse one through five. Here's what's going on here. If you know anything about the story of Job, it's moderately depressing. Job uh, has a hard life as we read in the book, right? It's just rough. Things go badly. And God is silent through the entire 37 chapters until we get to 38. And God finally responds to Job and his outcries and all the ridiculousness that comes from Job's friends and Job's advice from his wife, which is, this is his advice from his wife in the middle of this. Curse God and die. That's bad advice, by the way. Real bad advice. But Job is just like going through all this evil and all this suffering, and God is nowhere to be heard or found. And finally, finally in chapter 38, God speaks. And this is what he says, Job chapter 38, verse one. Here we go. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? So this is what happens. Job is uncertain about what God's doing. I'm sure I can imagine how frustrated Job is. How much Job wants to just look at God and say, you're a maniac and shake his fists at God. And God responds to Job in those moments. And you know what he does? You know how he gives him perspective? By giving Job a picture of himself. By giving Job a picture, a better picture of who God is. He says, hey, Job, who are you to come to me and question what I'm doing? You're like, well, that's awfully mean, God. It's not very nice. But then he asks this. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I stretched out the line to measure and to bring all of this into the being? Surely you know. You see, God gives Job a perspective and says, I've always been and I'll always be. You've been here for this long, Job. Let me give you some perspective by showing you who I am. 
And so that's what I want to do tonight is provide you some perspective and some lenses to look through about who God is so that we can see this problem of evil more clearly. And so I'm not ignorant. I'm aware that there are, there are likely, likely there are some of you in here that you don't even get to belief in God at this point. Like because of the problem of evil, you, you cannot believe in God. That's where you're at. You're like, okay, so Kate, I, I'm on your first problem. If, if there's evil in the world, how can we, how can there be an all good, all powerful, all loving God? There can't be. Therefore, if evil exists, God does not exist. That's the common atheist argument. If evil exists, God does not exist. Here's how I respond to that. If you have friends, here's how, here's how I would encourage you to respond to that. And if you're in here, here's how I'm gonna respond to you. Here's the first thing. Your acknowledgement that there's evil in the world requires that you acknowledge that there's good in the world to compare it to. Your acknowledgement that there is evil in the world requires there is good in the world for you to compare it to. So you know what evil is because you know what good is. You can identify something as evil because you know what good is. And not just like, oh, well, pizza tastes good. No, I'm not talking like good, good like that. I'm talking good as in fixed, unchangeable perfection, that kind of good. Because often we can get stuck and say, oh, well, well what is good is whatever is whatever I determine to be good. My, myself is good. That's my radar, my comparison for good. But it can't be ourself because every single one of us has a different measure of what is good. And more than that, the Bible makes it very clear that we are wicked people. So it can't be self. You're like, okay, well, well good is whatever society, the, the, the majority of society says is good. That's what we can say is good. If society says it's good, I'll say it's good and it's good for everybody. However, let me tell you, let, let, let's, let's talk about this. 60 years ago, 60 years ago, it's not that long ago. 60 years ago, abortion was illegal. And viewed by a majority of people as a senseless evil. Flash forward, 2016. You have people tweeting, happy anniversary, Planned Parenthood. Here's some more and more years of you giving mothers a choice. And we're celebrating abortion. We're celebrating the murder of babies. So if we're gonna join with the masses to say, whatever society says is good is good, it changes all the time. What's it gonna be in 60 years? Because you see, the world is growing progressively more evil, not more good. So the presence of evil does not disprove that God exists. In fact, I think this, the presence of evil is more proof that God does exist. The presence of evil is more proof that God does exist because your acknowledgement that there is evil is an acknowledgement somewhere wired in you that there is a perfect, fixed, unchangeable, good being by which to compare it to. That's God. That's God. So let's talk about this God. Let's get some perspective, some clarity on who this God is and hopefully some help concerning the problem of evil. So we're gonna talk about three things. It's not everything, but three things. And these three things, this is how God is different than us. We are not like God in this way. 
He is above and beyond us in these ways. So here's number one. Here we go. God is eternal. God is eternal. Here's how we're going to define it. It'll be on the screen. God is eternal. Here it is. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being. And he sees all time equally vividly, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. I'll read it one more time. Here we go. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being and sees all time equally vividly, yet sees events in time and acts in time. Let me just break that down for just a few minutes. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments. That is that God was not created. God always was, God always is, God always will be. There is no start, there is no end. He always has been. You're like, that doesn't make sense. Everything has a start. No, God doesn't because he's God. That's how that works out. You have a start because you are by time, God isn't. God is outside of time. God is not controlled, constrained, or restricted by time. You and I are. You and I think in time. Now, later, tomorrow, today. That's how we think. God is not, does not think in that way. God exists. God is eternal. He's not held by time. He's not held by time. He has no beginning, no end. He sees all time equally vividly. All time equally vividly. Meaning that God sees past, God sees present, and God sees future equally as clearly all at the same time. God sees what is in the past. God sees what's happening right now. And God sees forever from now. Equally as clearly as you're looking at me. You're like, how does that work? I don't know. I'm not God, but he is. And I'm fine with like saying, yeah, that makes sense to me. He's God. That, that seems to, to work. God sees time equally, past, present, future at all times. God is eternal, eternal. The Bible paints it like this. Psalm 93, 2. Psalm 93, 2 says this. Your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting. The psalmist says, God, you are from forever. You are eternal. You are outside of time. You're not constrained by time. You're eternal. So that's number one about God, is God is eternal. The second thing is this. God is unchanging. God is unchanging. Here's how we're gonna define it. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. One more time. God is unchanging in his being, perfection, purposes, and promises. Now let me just, let me pull that apart just a little bit. What does it mean for God to be unchanging in his being? We'll say it like this. God is unchanging in who he is. God is unchanging in who he is. God is holy. That does not change. God will forever be holy. God is unchanging in his being, who he is. Malachi 3, Malachi 3, chapter 6 says this, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. God is unchanging in who he is. So God is unchanging in his being, the next thing, God is unchanging in his perfection. So he's unchanging in who he is being, and he's unchanging in perfection, how he is. So God is unchanging in his holiness, 
How is he holy? He's perfectly holy. And that's unchanging. God is unchanging in who he is. God is unchanging in how he is. He is holy and he is perfectly holy. And more and more we could go into those attributes. God is perfect in how he is. Isaiah 46 verse eight says this. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. God says of himself, nobody compares to me. I'm perfect. You're like, that's awfully conceited. He's God and he's perfect. So God is unchanging in who he is and God is unchanging in how he is who he is. All right, you're tracking with me. Stay with me. The third thing, God is unchanging in his purpose. So God is unchanging in who he is, how he is, and purpose, what he is accomplishing. God is unchanging in who he is, how he is, and what he is accomplishing, purpose. Purpose. So the question is, what is God trying to accomplish? What is God's purpose, okay? It's probably broader than you think. I'll say it in two ways. That God's purpose is to establish his kingdom on earth, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, and second, to bring glory to himself. God's purpose is to bring glory to his own name. God's purpose is to bring glory to his own name. And again, we say, Man, that's awfully conceited. That's awfully prideful. That's awfully selfish of God to say, I'm doing everything for the glory of my name. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe what is for the glory of God is actually for our good. Maybe what is most glorifying to God is best for us. That seems to make sense to me. It's not that God is, is selfish and conceited in him, in him saying, I, I'm after my glory. I want you to be used for my glory. It's not that God is conceited. It's God is saying, yes, I, I'm for my glory, but you know what? What is for my glory is actually for your good. And so we say, I'm for your glory, God. I'm for your glory, God. So God is unchanging in his being, who he is. God is unchanging in his perfection, how he is. God is unchanging in his purposes, what he is accomplishing. The last thing is this. God is unchanging in his promise, what he is guaranteeing. God is unchanging in his promise, what he is guaranteeing. Isaiah 46, 10 through 11 says it like this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. This is God saying this. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God says, hey, if I've promised it, if I've said it, I will do it. That's what God says about himself. God is unchanging in his promise. And you're like, yeah, dude, I already knew that. I claim God's promises every day. But here's the danger. Here's what we do as American Southern Christians. 
We follow some like Bible verse thing on Instagram, which I'm not knocking on that. Don't hear me say that. But here's the danger. They post a picture of like mountains, which there are no mountains in Texas that look like that, by the way. But they post pictures of like a lake and mountains with one verse on the front. And then you read it and you're like, hmm, that's good for my soul. Or you plaster it on a coffee mug and then you take a picture of it and then you post it on Instagram. You're like, just sitting with Jesus today, right? Look, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not hating. I, I, want, I want you to read the Bible. But here's what we do and here's what's dangerous. Is we take one verse and we grab it out of thin air and we rip it out of the Bible and we say, look at this promise, I'm claiming it. And then when the promise doesn't happen, when it doesn't go our way, when it doesn't work like we thought it was going to, we shake our fist at God and we say, God, you promised. What the heck? Kate told me that you keep your promises. And maybe it's not that God bailed on his promise. Maybe it's that we misunderstood his promise. Here's a common one. Maybe this is not yours, but here's a common one. Romans 8.37 says this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Period, verse 37, put it on my coffee mug. Amen, praise God, hallelujah, let's do it. We are more than conquerors. And you go, you go, into, your, you go into your calculus test you didn't study for, and you're like, God, you said I'm more than a conqueror, let's do this thing. And then you walk out because you got a 30 because you didn't study. And you're like, what the heck, God? I thought we were more than conquerors. And he's like, Oh, that's not what I meant. And then you go, you go to your game and you're like, I haven't practiced in like three weeks, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna dominate because God said we are more than conquerors for all for him who loved us. And you go in and you get worked by the other team because you whiffed on what God was actually talking about. And you apply it to all kinds of things. You said, yes, God, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. Let me win, let me win because it's really more about you than it is about God. And you claim this promise. And when it doesn't work out, you shake your fist at God and say, you promised. You said, I'm more than a conqueror. Here's my challenge to you. Instead of reading one verse, read the verses around the one verse too. Read the chunk. Because I'm about to do that with this verse and your picture of what's gonna go on here is very different. Very different. Check this out. Just listen. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along. This is crazy. Romans 8, 31 through 38. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We do that with that one too, by the way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is he who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? This is what Paul is saying. Hey, Roman people that I'm writing to, Christians in Rome, listen to what I'm saying to you. You're gonna follow Jesus and it's gonna get hard. And potentially they're gonna imprison you or they're gonna take your homes or they're gonna take your spouses or they're gonna take your life. And is that gonna separate you from God? Verse 37, conquerors through him who loved us. For I am.
in all things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the picture is very different now. The picture is not, I can conquer anything because I'm a Christian. Bring on the test. I'm not studying. No, it is this. I can walk through the greatest of pains, the greatest of sufferings. And God doesn't leave me. In fact, what God says of me is you're a conqueror through that. He reminds you, I win, I win. This isn't forever, I win. And if I win and you're with me, you win. And so in all things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You can claim that promise, but you better know what you're claiming. Let's be careful. So God is unchanging. God is eternal and God is unchanging. God is unchanging in his being, who he is. God is unchanging in his perfection, how he is. God is unchanging in his purpose, what he's accomplishing, and God is unchanging in his promise, what he is guaranteeing. The last thing that we need to know about God is this. God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. That is this, that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Our definition is this, that God is able to do all of his holy will. God is able to do all of his holy will. Meaning this, there is nothing that is, nothing, nothing, put it in your head, nothing that is outside of God's ability. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. There's nothing that is outside of God's ability. And what's more than that? Within God's omnipotence is this thing called God's sovereignty, that he reigns over everything. He's in charge of everything. So here's here's what that means. At no moment, at no moment in your life, my life, or anybody's life on the planet, has God ever looked down at the earth and gone, holy crud, I did not see that coming. Holy Spirit, come over here. Like, that never happens. Like, I don't know. No. Like, that never happens. God doesn't huddle up the Trinity and go, you guys, what should we do? We didn't plan on this. It doesn't happen. There's nothing that happens that is outside of God's understanding, ability, and power. Nothing, nothing, including your pain and suffering. Including your pain and suffering. To which you say, and I say, that's exactly my problem with God. You see, he knew about it. And, he, and he's powerful enough to stop it, but he didn't. And that's my problem, Cade. I want an answer, Cade. I want to know. Why would God allow such suffering, not only to other people, but more specifically, why would God allow suffering to me? It's a fair question for which you're gonna have to keep coming back for me to answer. 
But let me, let me put this before you. Hopefully this will give you some hope as you leave here. To those of you who have that question. If God doesn't allow and doesn't bring about some things that are hard for us with a greater good in mind, then the cross never happens. Because, because not only did God allow suffering, God appointed suffering on his own son. The Bible says that it was God's will to crush him. God purposed that Jesus die. And Jesus was nailed to a cross because you and I are sinful people who are forever separated from God and without hope unless God sends a solution. But God in his great love for us does send a solution. And Jesus comes and lives perfectly where we were supposed to live perfectly. And he dies where we were supposed to die. And then he goes into the grave and three days later gets up from the grave. Not, not, not staying there. His bones are not there. There's nothing to be found. You watch the History Channel. They'll say they found him. They did not find him because he has gotten up from the dead. So you and I would have the way to God. But you see, the only way that that happened is if God allowed suffering. I hope that that gives you some hope. We're going to step into those questions deeper in the weeks to come. So stick around. God is omnipotent. God is eternal. God is unchanging. God is omnipotent. So that we can see this issue more clearly. Don't bail. Don't shake your fist at God. Press in and understand better who he is. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. Listen, I'm aware uh, that I did not answer the majority of the questions that you have concerning this problem. My intention is to, over the next few weeks, as best I can, However, if you're in here and you're a believer, as you think to yourself with your eyes closed, as you think to yourself, what lenses are you looking through here? When you think about evil, maybe specifically the evil that's been done to you and the suffering that you've gone through, what lenses do you look through? Do you look and think, God, you're evil, you're not good? Or do you think, God, you're eternal, you're outside of time? You're unchanging. You're all powerful. You're, you're, you're using this. Maybe you need different lenses. Maybe you need to understand God a little bit better and a little bit more clearly tonight. My, my challenge to you would be to pray with a friend that brought you, pray with an adult in the back, that God would grant you eyes to see and ears to hear. And then you would go home over the next few weeks and you would just tear apart the Bible, trying to discover, God, God, who are you? So you can see it more clearly. And if you're in here and you're not a believer, you're like, this Christianity thing is ridiculous. In fact, this is my problem. This evil, this is my problem. Stick around. Don't bail. Don't shake your fist at God. 
press in and ask the hard questions. There's answers to your questions. And if you've got questions you need to ask tonight, because it's just burning inside of you, grab an adult in the back. Ask them your questions. It's, it's fair. Nobody's going to judge you for your questions. They have questions too. Let me pray. So, Father, thank you so, so much that you are eternal and unchanging and omnipotent. You're all-powerful and you're sovereign and there's nobody like you. Nobody. And I hope, God, that you would give us those lenses. You would give us those lenses to see this more clearly. And over the next few weeks, you would give us those lenses to see these issues. And where we're hurt, give us lenses like you. Give us perspective like you gave Job. It doesn't make it hurt less, but it gives it purpose. And we're looking for purpose. Please, God, help us. Please, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us? Shape us to be more like Jesus, we ask in his name.